Radio Maria, a very warm welcome. I'm Edmund Zengeni, and this is Credo. And today we have our regular slot, but by no means a regular contributor. So, dear friend, all the way live from sunny Florida, USA, it's Derek Williams who will be continuing his series on tithing. And today the topic is called Blessed. Good afternoon, Derek. Yeah, good afternoon, Eddie. It literally just tips over into the afternoon here um, because it's uh, four hours behind you guys. You know, the Americans are always going to be behind us, right? Did I really <laughs> say that out loud? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's great to be here from the, I think they call it the Sunshine State. That's Is that right. right? Yeah, which part of Florida That's are you right. in? I'm in a place that you might know. It's called Orlando. Apparently, there's a few minor attractions in this part of the country. Well, you're you're the latest one. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> All right. Well, look, without further ado, I shall hand over the airwaves to you and our dear listeners. And then, as usual, in uh, 20 minutes or so, pop in for a music break. But been looking forward to hearing hey. what you've got to say this afternoon. Great stuff. Thank you, Eddie. Thank so, you. good afternoon, everybody. And um, I'm going to be so continuing the series on tithing. We're digging into it a little bit because we're trying to show you that this is really not all about money. Uh, really, it boils down to the disposition of the heart. And this week's session is called Blessed. I was going to be clever and call it by its Greek word, which is makarion. Um, it, to be frank, you don't have to be clever to discover to discover that these days. You know, I've got a very simple little app on my mobile, um, which I just tap on the sentence, and it just brings up the whole sentence in Greek or Hebrew, and then you can just find out what each word means. And I've always been a fan of doing that. I love digging into the uh, the original meanings of the words, and just trying to draw out more nourishment from from the word. So I'm going to take a little look at what the word makarion means. Um, but first I'm going to look at um, uh, Matthew 5, verses 1 to 3. Um, I've probably talked on this before because it's something I teach on quite a bit. Um, but it's a beautiful line of scripture. And it's Matthew introducing Jesus as the new Moses, which for us in our journey on tithing is important because we've spent quite a bit of time looking at the book of Leviticus and Exodus and so on the books of Moses, as they are traditionally called. So here now we have the new Moses. And in, in Matthew 5, verse 1, uh, Matthew writes about Christ. He's, he's giving it us from Christ's perspective, if you like. Seeing the crowds. So that's the first thing. Jesus sees the crowds, and he went up on the mountain. So just like Moses, way back in the book of Exodus, the commandments are given. And then Moses and the people of Israel are at the foot of the mountain. And um, the people, the crowds, are gathered at the foot. And it says very clearly, they backed away. And then they say to Moses, you go up the mountain. Um, so there's a parallel. Jesus, among the crowds, goes up the mountain. On the mountain, he sat down. And this is once again Matthew pointing out something to us about the person of Jesus and the fact that his throne is in the dust. His throne is in the dirt of the earth. So not like a, an earthly king who wants to have a nice th throne made for him. And, and here's a beautiful irony as well. This would have been at the time of, of course, King Herod and company. And they'd be carried around the very same country on a throne carried by slaves or servants, what have you. So they'd be actually carried around like that. But Jesus doesn't have an earthly throne. He sits down in the dust. He sits down in the dirt. Whenever we think of that, whenever we think of the dust, we always have to, it's always good to reflect that from dust we come and to dust we return. And therefore there's a connection with the human heart, the dusty human heart in which Jesus wants to sit and where Jesus wants to make his throne. What's that got to do with tithing? 
Well, the one of the obstacles to the soul really giving themselves in an attitude of sacrificial giving is that the heart hasn't been converted. The heart is still focused on the things of this world, still entrapped, still not disengaged from the things of this world. If a person is free to give whatever they want to give. So when I was 24 and um, I, experienced, I had this encounter with God, and funny enough, one of the first things I learned about through Bible study was tithing. And I went from giving absolutely nothing to the church to actually giving 10% of my income to the church. It's quite a staggering move from one to the other. You might say it's a bit extreme. Um, and I'd be fine with that, you know. Um, for me, I sometimes like living life on the extreme. Um, but a beautiful, gentle extreme, a peaceful extreme. Um, and um, so I went from nothing to 10% of my income. Um, and it was all because of a deeper conversion of heart. I'd had a, a conversion experience where I wanted to give myself more fully to God. And that's really at the source of this whole thing. It's, it's the heart converting deeper and wanting to give of itself more. After Jesus has sat down, he didn't say his disciples came to him. He sits down, his disciples came, he opened his mouth. So look at the narrative. He went up on a mountain. He sat down. His disciples came to him. He opened his mouth. He taught them. So there's this movement in the, in the narrative. Um, and the first thing he speaks, the first thing that God speaks on top of the mountain, if you go back to the book of Exodus, it's something like, I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt. So God gives an introduction. Here, Jesus is revealing us. And the first word he speaks is not blessed, it's not happy, which is a very poor translation from what I've been studying. The Greek word is makarion. Um, there's no equivalent word in the English language. Uh, but it's, and, and here's, an, here's an ironic twist in, in the word itself. When I was looking at the meaning of the word makarion, uh, it took me obviously back to Plato and Aristotle and their writings. And Plato wrote, obviously, quite a few things. He wrote this one particular dialogue. And the word makarion is used there in respect of the rich, people who have wealth and therefore we think, should be happy, blessed, makarion. Um, and of course, I've yet to see the evidence of that worked out. Most of the people that we know who have got incredible wealth definitely are not happy per se. Um, so the evidence doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Jesus goes in the exact opposite direction. Jesus says, happy are the poor. Now, obviously, he uses two other words. Um, he uses the words in spirit. But I wanted to focus on the word poor. Happy are the poor. Macarion are the poor. Blessed are the poor. What does this mean? Well, the word Macarion is used in some parts to describe the ecstasy of the Greek gods in heaven. Um, and therefore, something that we can never share that that the greeks could never share in in this life um theirs is eternal bliss and a friend of mine um a theologian friend whose books i love reading mary Karkis, says how sad it is that for the pagan who'd be reading this before he becomes a christian he's thinking about well hold on this is for the gods in the heavens that that's their bliss what what hangs over our lives well death hangs over our lives, which is the ultimate misery for the pagan, but the ultimate joy for the Christian, and hence so many gave themselves, gave themselves completely over to that death. And yet, once again, always keep at the back of your mind this concept of tithing, the gift of self, the sacrifice, the offering that we make, um, because that's where the, the Macarion comes. Uh, the Macarion is not to do with happiness. Happiness is short-lived, shallow um it more based on emotion than based on reality and um, and more based on exterior circumstances the word makarion really we're looking at the interior transformation of the soul the fact that the soul has got this communion with god which is unshakable 
And therefore, although the circumstances of their life may look bad, as in poor, they are enriched inside because of their union with God, their relationship with God. Um, I'm just trying to think of a few examples of this. You know, Eddie introduced the show by saying I was over in sunny Florida. I'm here for a conference which begins tomorrow, a conference on the gift of living in the divine will, which is something I study on a daily basis. Um, and when I'm teaching it, I'm teaching it using sacred scripture and the writings of mystics and so on. Um, and so the, the journey over was a, 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 at times a very tough journey, um, but I decided that I'd use it for my benefit and I started doing some reading and praying. So I'm sat there on the plane at 39,000 feet flowing over the Atlantic, uh, praying my rosary quietly and dozing and then doing some theological reading and so on and just making the most of that time. Um, when I land, um, I've got two and a half hours to get through customs to my next flight from Miami to Orlando. And uh, initially it seemed like, oh yeah, that's not going to be a problem. And then you come into the passport area and it's um, it's basically like a cattle market. Thousands, over a thousand people, or it seemed like over a thousand people, all crammed in to these ropes and everything lined up to meet with the passport controller. And initially it moves fast. And I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be fine. I've got two and a half hours, no problem. But then after half an hour, it slows right down and we're not budging. And I'm starting to panic a little. I think uh, I'm running out of time. Um, I know the flight's coming in because I can see it on my mobile. The, the skew isn't moving. Um, and then for, for the next half an hour, we hardly move. So first half an hour, we're belting along. Second half an hour, we're not moving. And so rather than panic and start to make a fuss of it and everything, I'm just saying, okay, Jesus, I'm just going to abandon this completely to you. So living the abandoned life, Lord, I'm just abandoning it to you. I'm not worrying about it. You're in charge of my life. You'll get me through to where I need to be. And I'm glad I did that prayer of abandonment because pretty much everything that happened for the following hour confounded the fact that I was going to get on a connecting flight. So I was I, I was thinking, Lord, I've got to keep myself calm under these circumstances because in the end I made a connection, no problem at all, with plenty of time. But there were lots of little things that happened. For example, when I finally got through security and to the other end, um, I had to go through a second lot of security in order to board a new flight. And you know how you, your bag and stuff is separated from you as it goes to a machine? Well, mine went through that machine, and then the security guy said, sorry, it's going to all be checked again. And, and I was like, what? What have you found in there? <laughs> there's not, apart from my Bible, kind of thing, well, there's not a lot in there. Um, and, uh, and the second time it goes through, and it, it doesn't come through. And I'm waiting there for at least 10 minutes, which seems like an hour. And once again, just abandoning it to the divine world. Jesus, you're in charge. I'm not going to worry about this. I ask the security guard, where's my bag gone? Um, he goes away, says, okay, I'll sort it out. And he comes back a minute later saying, yes, mine, all sorted. And I'm like, it's not here yet. And then I actually look over a few minutes later, another conveyor belt 20 feet away, and there's my bag and a completely different conveyor belt. And I'm like... Oh, thank the Lord it's here. And that these things kept on stacking up. I just kept on saying, Lord, I'm just abandoning myself to your divine will in this. Living Macarion, living that interior peace, uh, though I may have looked on the surface not very peaceful, deep within I was fine. Um, and it's that living that interior peace when everything's going wrong, knowing that the circumstances of life do not dictate the interior relationship with God. So although on the outside, my circumstances may look poor, using the word poor in a broader way, inwardly, everything is rich and smooth and going in the direction it should go. Um, one other thing I did this morning was, um, obviously I got to the hotel last night and it was everything was dark. I'm in Orlando, it's the sunshine state. This is the place where you got all the nice amusement parks and everything, you know, Disney World and all this sort of thing. Um, and so I, I opened up my curtains and, you know, you think it's going to be 21 degrees centigrade, blue sky, beautiful sunny morning. Well, I opened up my curtains and it was fog, thick fog. I couldn't see the center of Orlando. And all that I could be could see was the, the roof of the shopping mall, which is um, part of this hotel complex. So it's all just uh, industrial rooftops. This is my first view of Orlando. And I showed my wife 
a short while later and we were both laughing and laughing and laughing about it. She was saying, you know, I wonder what Jesus is thinking when he prepared that room for you and thought, there it's going to be tickled pink by the view. And I, and I was, I was tickled pink by it. It really made me giggle. I thought, oh, here I am in Orlando and what's the viewpoint I get? I get a skip just underneath the bedroom window, about 200 feet underneath the bed, 100 feet underneath the bedroom window and these rooftops. And it just caused me joy. I was very, I was very joyful about it. I laughed and giggled about it, thinking, yes, Lord, this is, I'm in the perfect place, perfect place, just where you want me, Lord, because this is where we, we view our poverty of spirit. Now, I want to keep talking about this poverty of spirit because in the, um, a, a, Someone was talking to me about tithing, I think probably from the London office or somewhere, about the prosperity gospel versus the poverty gospel. And I just want to be aware, I'm not into the prosperity gospel. For me, this, this, this is not about making the money. I'm, I'm a traveling evangelist. I've traveled in so many countries in the last few weeks, teaching people about the, the interior life and the spiritual life. And uh, yeah, you, you do want to make your living, but I'm not about the making the money that some, some are worth millions in the prosperity gospel. I think this is where we Catholics have to be very careful. What's the purpose of tithing? I don't tithe to God in order to get a bigger paycheck. The purpose of giving in to the kingdom of God is to have the abandonment and the trust that God will provide for my needs. And the first need that God's going to provide for me is in my interior life. Hence, blessed are the poor in spirit. Who are the poor in spirit? They are the ones who recognize their need of God. Um, in my footnotes, it says, um, St. Gregory of Nyssa equated poverty in spirit with humility. What is humility? It is not being down on ourselves. It is not about beating ourselves around the head and saying, oh, I'm a poor, wretched, miserable sinner, I am nothing, etc. To a degree it is, but to a degree it's not. Real humility is recognizing that I can do nothing without God. Recognizing that without God, I can do nothing. And this is why tithing becomes important, because when we receive our income each month, we can say to ourselves, yeah, I earned it, my money, I'm going to spend it on what I want it or what I need to spend on it. Or we can say, okay, this is all gift. This is from God. Everything I am, everything I do, all my talents, all my abilities, my skill sets, my intellectual prowess, my ability to earn money, etc. It's all gift from God. That's poverty of spirit. That's, that's humility. That's recognizing that there is nothing of myself. I have nothing. And therefore, I want to, from this gift that God has given me, I want to make a return to God. I want to give something back. And Jacob says, I will give 10% of all you give me. That's the important thing. What's the fruit when we do this? What's the fruit when we recognize our poverty of spirit that within, when I um, just qualify the poverty of spirit bit, when I journey inwards in prayer, in silence, in solitude, in my interior silence, I come to God in abject poverty. I'm naked, I'm hungry, I'm empty. I have nothing, I have nothing. None of us do. When we go within, we have nothing. All the trappings of this world disappear on the first impulse inwards. They disappear. We go in in absolute poverty of spirit with nothing to give God. And we encounter him who has created us and to our every fiber of our being, emotional, spiritual, psychological, completely 100% depends upon this living God. And by doing that journey in nakedness of spirit, in poverty of spirit, and encountering God who enriches the soul, who alone enriches the soul, God alone enriches the soul. God alone gives the grace that the soul needs and the food that the soul needs. So when I encounter him, and then I come back out of that interiority, I can make a return to God by giving him something of my material wealth, that wealth which is so transient and temporal, I can give him a return of it in thanksgiving for what he has poured into my soul. And that return pleases God. You know, he's, he wants to bless us because by giving that return to God, we are keeping the wheels of evangelization turning. We are bringing, helping to bring souls to Christ through our gift. You know, um, 
I want to give you a concrete example of this. There's at the back of my head, at the back of my head, a testimony. When I was either in, I've been to so many different countries in the last few months, giving conferences and retreats, but one of them, um, I had a, I do a lot of one chats with people, um, and I had a one-on-one -on -one chat with somebody. It's just a fading memory at the moment. It will come back if I give it long enough time, but there was this one-on-one -on -one chat with somebody, and they were just pouring out their heart, which is what people do, and I was just quietly praying, which is what I do. Um, and um, it was a few hours later, they just sent me a little message, and they said, I feel that I have given myself to God for the first time. Now, th this is beautiful. This is just amazing when someone does that. They make a complete abandonment to God. They did it because we we're having that nice chat. And this is the work of evangelization. Meeting people who on the surface seem to have got it together. I'm not saying in front of that. I mean, some people on the surface, <laughs> they know they're a mess. And yes, I meet them as well. But also meeting these people who on the surface of it, they, they seem to have got it together. But when you talk to them, you touch their brokenness, their woundedness, you touch their abject poverty of spirit, and you can lead them to the physician, you can lead them to the healer, you can lead them to the spiritual bank manager who can enrich their poverty, who can give them everything they need and more besides, who can enrich them beyond anything they can comprehend. And then they come out of that and then they can give, they can give and they can give into the kingdom. And this is one of the things that I experienced last week when I was giving a conference in Medjugorje. It was only a small gathering, but God was touching their lives incredibly powerfully. And they were incredibly generous to me as a traveling evangelist because God had touched them. And they said that. They said, you know, God has used you, and I want to bless you with these financial gifts because they were so touched by the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, I think Eddie's patiently waiting in the studio for me to breathe. So I'm going to hand over to you, Eddie, and if they, let us give these people something to worship with for a minute, yeah? All right, great. Yeah, patiently listening as well to, uh, to what you have to say here on this, uh, this latest episode of Credo. So coming up next, we have a music break, and this is Know That My Redeemer lives. This is Radio Maria. Very warm welcome back this afternoon. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Credo here live all the way from Florida, the USA with Derek Williams. I'm Edmund Zengeni, sat here in our studio in Cambridge. And today, Derek's been speaking about his uh, continuing his series on, on tithing. And today's topic is called Blessed. So back over to you, Derek. Thank you very much, Eddie. So... I've moved my Bible now from Matthew chapter 5 over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And keeping in mind um, this idea of blessed, the Greek word makarion, 
poverty of spirit um and the fact that everything we have in life is given by god absolutely everything uh we might think we have gained things ourselves but the breath in your lungs is from god the blood in your veins is from god um the dna is from god the soul is from god everything about us is from god and if we can tune into that simple reality it's going to change a lot for us in terms of our relationship with him can help us to be more deeply abandoned to him now in 2 corinthians chapter 8 paul is going to talk about giving he's going to talk about money well it begins with this line very interesting we want you to know brethren about the grace of god which has been shown in the churches of macedonia so paul is about to talk about the money that the churches have given in but he's recognizing that the ability to give that money is a grace from god that money will then go to the church in jerusalem it will support the ministry of the apostles but it also be given to the poor to help people who have not so that they can have food and clothing and everything else now paul writes this in a severe test of affliction their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of liberality on their part for they gave according to their means as i can testify and beyond their means of their own free will begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints okay so they're they're recognizing that they're helping the holy ones in their work in their lives and they're recognizing that this ability to give even though they themselves have got little and um, it's a grace and i've experienced this grace myself on times you know when i first started giving in 10 percent of my income when i was 24 i'd actually accrued a few debts because um i mean money do not have a, the best of relationships and um and i bought a car and I wasn't earning that much money um is it is okay for the time and um and so i got a couple of thousand pounds in debt in the bank which i struggling to clear so i started tithing thinking okay lord you know you what i've learned is that if i give this sacrificially then you're going to bless me and one of the blessings i have would be to have financial freedom not to be in debt anymore and the, the turnaround was, was remarkable um the work the company i was working for i was i was a typewriter engineer at the time for those of you who remember those in the dark ages um, and i used to service and fix service and repair them great job um, and the company i worked for wanted me to travel around the west midlands area where i lived and go into the offices servicing and repairing um, and so they decided to give me a company car which meant i could sell my car and start to clear those that debt well within the space of 12 months i went from several thousand pounds in debt to several thousand pounds in credit virtually the same amount that i was in debt by when i started tithing became the amount i was in credit by when i finished tithing now or when i continued tithing now once again this isn't to do with the prosperity gospel this is just god showing us how when we're abandoned to him how he takes care of our needs and our wants the things in life that you know hang over us and at the same time as by the way at the same time as doing this as going through this process my spiritual life was also radically transformed so i started going to mass every single day instead of just on a sunday i started praying a rosary every single day i started fasting regularly and i started going to lots of healing and deliverance retreats so i could get some freedom because i'd had a pretty rough teenage years which had made me very deeply wounded so i started going a lot of retreats so you can see the interior side god was calling me to a, a, a deeper freedom as well and all this is god's call none of it i can't say oh i chose this i chose to do that no it was all prompting it was all the holy spirit guiding my feet into the way of evangelization how can an evangelist do the work of evangelization if he himself or she herself is not free and has not got a certain amount of peace in their heart because we're the spreaders of peace so the message i'm giving you listeners is this is this is really the message of true peace to be free to be to not be dominated or held captive by the, the goods of this world or by our own talents and gifts etc 
the more we are abandoned to God's divine will, the more we live a life of abandonment on a daily basis. Just say, okay, this is what God has ordained for me today. And therefore, this is what I'm going to abandon myself to today. The more we can live like that, and it's not as difficult as you might think, it's a grace. But the more we can live like that, the more we're going to be peaceful, the more we're going to be joy-filled, the more we're going to be uh, carrying ourselves through life in a different way. Okay? Now, let me just continue with this reading from St. Paul, because there's a particular reading I want to get to. Um, so, they begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected. Now, listen to this line. But first they gave themselves over to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Okay, so they, first of all, they gave themselves over to the Lord. That abandonment to God enables them to give financially. Because they start saying, hold on a minute, we have all this money. It may not be a large amount. What have we got it for? Let's give some into the church. Let's let's bless somebody else with this financially, so that the work of evangelization can be done effectively. Okay. So accordingly, we rose Titus that as he'd already made a beginning. A uh, little problem with the connection there, but um, Derek's kind of going to resume what he just said here for the last the last minute or so. Back over to you, Derek. Okay, my apologies, everyone. It seems that the internet connection across this great country of America has weakened as it travels across the Atlantic Ocean, passing through several satellites as it goes. <laughs> so it's great, really, isn't it? Um, so I'll just keep remind you as to what I, what I was talking about. I was going through St. Paul's words to the Corinthians um, that, um, that Titus is to complete the work that he has begun, and that the um, the Corinthians are now excelling in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and in their love. And then he says this, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Remember this scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. This is a very famous scripture. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That's a very famous scripture line. Um, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. Let's see if we can break that open. It's quite a, a meaty concept behind this one. I don't know if we're going to be able to do it even in this short time, but let's give it a shot, okay? So first of all, it's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is rich. What is he rich in? Well, he's rich in grace. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in holiness. He's rich in power. He's rich in glory. He's rich in authority and honor. He is rich in all the virtues. He is rich in love, in peace, in joy. He has all these incredible riches that do not seem like they are riches to us who dwell on earth. He has an area of poverty. God has one area of poverty in sin. God has no sin. He's, he's utterly poor when it comes to his when it comes to sin. He has none. Christ took yours on himself, and then he died on the cross. So yours is being put to death as well. Now, so he's rich in all that, but he becomes poor. He becomes like one of us. So materially, he is poor, and he looks poor. The prophet Isaiah says that there was nothing about him which, attra which attracted us. So we might think, oh, when he was on earth, he was handsome, he was this or that. The prophet Isaiah says there was nothing in his appearance to attract us. That's, once again, an important point. Um, so he becomes poor and completely dependent on his father for every word he spoke, for everything he did, revealing to us the nature of true spiritual poverty, completely dependent on the other, and he does that so that we might become rich because we have extreme spiritual poverty. 
Hence, how blessed are the poor in spirit. How blessed are those who recognize their need of God, their poverty of spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, how can God give the kingdom of heaven to people who are so wrapped up with the riches and honors and kingdoms of this world? Our hands are too full, our hearts are too distracted, directed in the wrong direction. We need to have a, a metanoia, a conversion. We need to lean towards Macarion. Now, I hope that that connection is still flowing nicely, and I'm going to offer, offer the call back to Eddie to play you some more worship. All right, all right. Thank you very much for that. Yep, we're coming through loud and clear now. Thank God for that. And uh, we've got a new song here. This is King of Wonders. Welcome back, dear listeners. This is Radio Maria. You're listening to Credo. And more specifically, you're listening to Derek Williams all the way from a live link in Florida. Over to you, Derek. Thank you very much, Eddie. So this is on the... I just read out to you 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And this is the footnote. Just as Christ gave of himself and was detached from material goods, so should the faithful voluntarily respond to the needs of others with arms. Christ became man, so we might share in his divinity. He became poor, so we could share in his riches. What riches does he want us to share in? This is where the conversion of heart has to take place if we're going to be free to really sacrificially give ourselves to the work of God. Um, we need to have a detachment from the material things of life. That doesn't mean giving things up unnecessarily. You know, people might, just because you might have a nice car, you just might not be attached to it. So detachment. That detachment is a grace. We can, we can do, do certain amount of work ourselves by just recognizing that all these gifts are from God and so on. But ultimately detachment is a grace from God and it helps us to grow in our interior life. That interior life is where the fount of goods is to be found. For example, true joy, true peace, true real love, the real love of God, true holiness, true virtue. These are all the things that Christ is rich in and he wants to share with us. Now, it's often said, you can take nothing with you when you die. That's not entirely true. We can't certainly take anything material with us. 
the clothes that your body are buried in, your body's going to stay buried. You're not taking them with you. That's that. All that is left behind. Even your body, the very body that you live in all your life, even that body, you do not take with you. But what do you take with you? You take, if you, if you obey, if you respond to the grace of God, you will take with you the rich treasury of graces that you have gained in this life through suffering, through self-denial, through prayer, through penance, through serving God. You take with you the rich treasury of graces that God has poured into your soul. You will take joy. You will take peace. You will take love. You will take holiness. You will take sanctity. You will take all these graces and gifts that God has enriched your soul with, so that when you come before his throne, you do not come before his throne in abject poverty, you come before God, rich, rich with the grace of Christ. That's what you come before him with. You leave all the stuff behind, all the other stuff that we place so much onus on in this life, we leave it all behind. And if, depending on how we use those goods in this life, they can actually count against us in the next life. When we come before God and he says to us, you know, how did you use the riches, the earthly riches that I poured into your life? How wisely did you use them? Did you use them for yourself? Or did you use them to benefit others? That's going to be a question that we, you know, we will be confronted with these things. Not necessarily verbally, but God will reveal to us how we could have done better with the things that he entrusted to us so that we could have blessed other people and led them into a new experience of God. And I'll, I'll point out a few examples to you here of where you might think, okay, where can, I, where can I prepare myself for eternity best? How can I do that? Well, so Reggio Maria just completed their mar marathon where they were trying to raise money so that they could continue as an instrument of evangelization. The most important work on earth today yeah, it's not about selling books. It's not about um, it's not about having a nice computer or a new car. It's about bringing the good news of salvation to souls. And Mary, Radio Marie does this in I don't know. I think it's eighty studios in broadcasting to millions of people. Um, so and and they they depend totally on public support. You don't hear the adverts, folks. Uh, you just hear the proclamation of the gospel, prayer, worship, mass. Etc. This is what you get. This is the food you get. So don't just do it on a marathon week. Pray, Lord, should I be giving more money to radio? Should I be supporting this radio station so that they continue this great work of evangelization? That same to me. I'd ask you if you're listening to this and benefiting from it, would you think about, Lord, shall I sow into Derek's ministry? Because, you know, he's got a wife, children, and a very expensive wine bill. Um, does he need my prayerful support, uh, my financial support, as well as my prayerful support? Because this is where we can sow into something which has eternal merit, and we can sow into it using temporal goods. And I'll, see, I'll, I'll keep on talking about this often, because this is a really important topic for, for the church, so that the church can do the mission of evangelization. Now, let's sort of carry on reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is verse 10. In this matter, I give my advice. It is better for, best for you now to complete what a year ago well, you began not only to do, but to do, to desire, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. So Paul's talking about the gift that the church needs to give. Keep on doing it. Don't just do it now and then stop it. It has to be a constant in your life. It has to be continuous. Sacrificial giving must be a continuous thing. Let me just put one, one other thing at you as well, because I was um, having a chat with a friend the other week, and something was said to me which was slightly contentious. You know, we're talking about tithing, and I says, oh, yeah, it hasn't served you well. You know, you don't own your house. You're not a very well-paid job. you got a, you got a car which is falling apart, etc. I don't tithe to own a house. I don't tithe so that I'll get a nice new car. I tithe so that my soul... I can my soul I can be more open to God. I give sacrificially so that I can be detached by the grace of God and give myself more to the kingdom. And if I think to myself, 
have I been enriched interiorly? I think my wife would say yes, because she hears me preaching the gospel here on Radio Maria, and she hears me teaching on the gift of living in the divine world, which I do a lot of. And these are, for me, the greatest treasures, the greatest graces, to, to be able to read the Word of God, and for that Word of God to crack open like a beautiful seed, and to provide nourishment for the people. For the healing, let me say it, let me see now, let me see, because I've, I've been praying with a few people lately who said, look, can you pray with me for this, or pray with me for that? Um, and so I've been praying with people, and I've seen a couple of miracles in recent weeks where people were healed emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, and physically. Uh, last week when I was in Medjugorje, I had a little gathering, there was a group of about seven people, and they just asked me to do a session on the Holy Spirit. So I gave them a short teaching, about half an hour, and then we prayed for the Holy Spirit to come. And we had a half an hour of very beautiful, very powerful silence in the presence of the whole of, of God, where they felt constrained to um, kneel or prostrate themselves. Some of them did, because they felt the presence of God was quite overwhelming. And afterwards, we were talking together, asking them how, how it went, what was going on in the silence. And they were talking about the incredible peace that came and how all the anxieties and fears which normally dominate their day-to-day -day life just vanished um, and how they had this great interior silence and stillness. Now, I can't remember if everyone in the group was saying this, but certainly one or two that I was speaking to was saying this. Um, and, uh, and that's where God enriched the soul and brought profound, profound healing. If we're in a classroom now, me with everyone who's listened to this, you know, a classroom, I'm stood at the front, and I say to you, how many of you suffer from worries, anxieties, fears, obsessions, compulsive behaviors, etc.? I wonder how many of you put your hand up, and how many of you would you believe? How many of you would believe that by the grace of God, those problems can be healed? They can vanish. How many of you, I wonder, would keep your hands up? Because I have no doubts that these things can vanish. Because I've seen it. I've seen it happen time and time and time again. I can even give you an example from my own life. I had a pretty tough childhood. I was um, a skinny little fella. So as a result, I was a bit of a punch bag for some of my school friends, both physically and emotionally and psychologically. Consequently, when I left school, I was a bit of a nervous wreck. And I remember I couldn't, my hands would shake, tremble all the time. This was when I was about 16, 17. Uh, I started working as a typewriter engineer. And I remember that to, to fix the machines, I had to hold some right-handed. So I was holding the screwdriver in my right hand. And in order to get the get the head of the screwdriver onto the screw, I had to hold my right hand still using my left hand as an anchor because my right hand was shaking through nervousness as a result of those years of bullying and so on. After I had my experience of God when I was 24, and I received some prayer ministry and some healing, I gradually noticed that the shaking had stopped. I was no longer nervous. A lot of fears had gone. I could now look people in the eye instead of looking down at the ground. And I was calmer, more peaceful. And I actually remember being able to hold my hand I can almost remember the first time I held my hand in the air and thought, wow, I'm not shaking from nervousness and fear anymore. You see, so this is where Christ can enrich us. He can take our poverty, the poverty of spirit, the poverty of woundedness, the poverty of worry, the poverty of fear, the poverty of anxieties. He can take all those all those poverties and he can enrich them with peace, with love, with joy. So we'll do to finish in a second now. We're asking you just to play in the background tune.
and I'm going to see that I'm going to pray for all the, for you listeners. Ready? That okay? Thank you, Eddie. Praise Jesus. Dearest Mother Mary, Queen of Peace, Queen of all the saints, these people listening are your saints. And so I'm going to ask you, Blessed Mother Mary, to go to their hearts, because you're the Queen of our hearts, and bring in your peace, Blessed Mother. I'm going to ask you, Blessed Mother, to touch every heart with the peace of Christ and to calm down anxieties, calm down the fears, calm down the worries and heal the root cause of it all so that your children, Blessed Mother, can become peacemakers. If there's any trauma, any woundedness that they're carrying, any suffering that has been carried all their lives. I pray you, Blessed Mother Mary, give them the grace that those wounds will be healed. I pray for the grace for those wounds to be healed. And I speak peace into every trauma. I speak peace into every suffering. I speak peace into every wound. I speak peace into every harsh word that has ever been spoken to you. I speak peace into every nastiness that has ever been spoken of your life. I speak peace into every physical attack you've ever endured. I speak peace into all the pain in your heart and mind. That you may be peace. Pray this in the name of Jesus through the intercession of our Holy Mother Mary. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much indeed, Derek. It's always a pleasure to have you on on the airwaves. And you'll be back again next week, is that right? I'll be back next week, so really jet lagged, so the connection might hold up, but then the evangelist might fall asleep. <laughs> well, I'm sure it'll be good. It'll all go fine. It'll all go fine. You take care with your your travels and your evangelization, and uh, look after yourself. You and uh, thanks for having me on, Eddie. Oh, it's Bless always a you, pleasure. Mate. And thanks, for listeners. All right. See God you next you. time. Take care. Yeah. Bye bye.